All in one moment, one woman blotted it out forever. Who, said Diggory, but he had already guessed the answer. I, said the queen. I, Jadis, the last queen, but the queen of the world. Props to C.S. Lewis for creating a cool villain. I mean, (laughs) oh, I love her so much. to Talking Beasts from NarniaWeb.com, where we explore the world of C.S. Lewis and keep a watchful eye on the latest Narnia movie news. This is Talking Beasts. It's the season finale of Talking Beasts, and I'm Glumpuddle. And I'm Jim Fan. And I'm Rillian. Rolling right into chapter five of The Magician's Nephew, titled The Deplorable Word. Dun, dun, dun. I want to start out by calling you guys out on some BS potentially. Like, mm-hmm. we, if you if you heard the previous po- post show chatter, <laughs> thank you Patreon supporters. Uh, we briefly talked about the question of in this chapter. You know, obviously the previous one ended with the bell and the hammer. Diggory strikes the bell. Cliffhanger. Big earthquake. Yep, <laughs> big earthquake. And um, right at the beginning of this chapter, we see. Uh, the queen, the one who Diggory thought so beautiful, but Polly not so much, uh, rising from her chair. Uh, and basically, dun, we, I dun, mentioned... Dun. And I wanted to know in the previous post-show chatter if you guys knew that this was the White Witch. Now, later in the chapter, she says, I, Jadis, the queen of the world. And it's like, oh, okay, if you remembered Mogram's note from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, then you'll put it together. Oh, this is the White Witch. Mm-hmm. You guys were like, oh, yeah, I totally knew immediately. And I'm like, I don't believe you. <laughs> um, how could you guys have known just based on what? Like, you first, Rillian. H- how could you have known before she said her name was Jadis that she was the White Witch? I'm trying to remember how I, my dad read him because I wouldn't be surprised if he had read The Line Limits in the Wardrobe to us multiple times by the time we read this one. So again, it kind of sets us up where the White Witch is a bigger figure in our minds than uh, than if you just were reading all seven books. We read one, then the next, and the next. So okay. I had an unfair advantage. I can accept that. Yeah. So you're going into it with a perspective of, oh, this is a prequel to Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yes, and you're kind yes of- I definitely knew that. Again, I, was, I don't remember how old I was, maybe seven, but I definitely knew that, which is why I was surprised when he pulled down. He's like, yeah, there's this book that was written before or, or takes place before the line of the Georgia. <gasps> I thought it was gonna be like this again like dusty family bible like a tome right but then he pulls out a book I'm like this is like the same format as all the others and it's not like 700 pages long this is gonna be disappointing okay I accept that I do apologize for calling it BS Ooh, uh, to you you brilliant. are forgiven <laughs> thank you but you, Jim Fan, I haven't taken that back yet. So. Okay, no, no, no. So I'm gonna I'm gonna plead misunderstanding because I I can't go back to 15 year old me and be like, oh, do you think you knew who that was prior to her saying her name? I'm gonna guess probably not. Um, but I would say that I would definitely have guessed who she was before getting to the end of the book. You think even apart from her name being Jadis, you think you would have guessed it? Also remember, this is my first time reading the Chronicles of Narnia and I'm reading it starting with Magician's Nephew. So I have not gotten to, like, I don't know if I necessarily would have come across her name being Jadis. So that's just what I'm, that I'm going to, I'm going to plead a little misunderstanding there. So now I feel like Glumpuddle's going to say, well, see, I read this chapter and immediately thought of the Lady of the Green Kirtle. 
Oh, no. 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 Get those words okay. out of your mouth. No. Slap your tongue. No. Um, but no. Like, for me, like, I think, I can't remember if I mentioned this in the last episode or if it was the post-show chatter, but I, like, when we get to the end of the book and she turns white and it says her face was deadly white, for me, that was, that was the moment Boom. I realized she was the white witch. Because I totally forgot about the name Jadis. It's just... She, uh, her uh, Maugre mentions it at the end of his note on on M- Mr. Tumnus's house. That'd be quite the reveal for you. It was fun. That would be fun. That's like an I am your father moment. <laughs> it's fun to not be very in- observant. It's fun to overlook <laughs> details sometimes. <laughs> <if> you're <laughs> I'll watch some movie and my, my wife will be like, I totally know what's going to happen. I'll be like, huh? Well, I was just like trying to be stupid. Like, like, oh my goodness. Like the guy didn't actually die. He came back to life, I guess. You know, it's like, and so I'm taken by surprise all the time in movies. because Ignorance really is bliss, attention. right? <laughs> Selective ignorance. I'm not trying to figure it out. I'm just trying to, ex- I try to figure out real life. I don't try to figure out movies and entertainment. I mean, okay. To be fair, like this is going on side tangent. Like I sometimes will spoil myself for certain movies because sometimes knowing what happens like makes watching certain movies like more enjoyable for me sometimes i I will say i watched the trailer for encanto and i like i told my nephew i said this is the plot of this film and i basically nailed every single part of what was going to happen by watching the trailer so like yeah sometimes though (laughs) depending on what movie it is i very much will avoid any type of not just avoiding spoilers but just like even while i'm watching it i'm not gonna think too hard about it because i just want to be immersed in the moment and i want to enjoy it as it's intended and not be doing this like meta analysis in my brain about like ooh, i wonder if that means that oh i wonder if that means that's so, like no i will do that afterwards but i remember specifically it always brings me back to when we first watched the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and I think you and me were talking about it afterwards, Glumpuddle, and you're like, what do you mean you weren't like asking yourself all these questions during the movie? I was like, no, I was just watching the movie. I save my questions well, for later. Well, sure. Obviously, the the d- desire is to not be asking questions, just be swept up in it. But it's the filmmaker's job to make you do that. It's the filmmaker's job to get you to a point to where you're just swept up and you don't care. Obviously, Jim Fan was swept up in the cinematic masterpiece that's The Voyage of the Dawn Shredder, you know? I had aspects that I really I liked about it. And then, you know, over time, they became less palatable. But, um, you know, there was I, I, I am not I have no regrets <laughs> about how I chose to go about that first experience because I do have good memories. Yeah, you do. You that's totally fine. I'm glad you have good <laughs> memories. Um, I, I will say that it's interesting that as far as do you figure out it's the White Witch or not? Um, and there's certainly nothing in the story at this point that gives that away immediately. But maybe if you're thinking, oh, it's a prequel to Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, maybe, maybe the White Witch will pop up. But it's interesting that um, she's, you know, she wakes up, she greets Diggory and Polly. Well, not really. She does it. She completely ignores Polly, which is so interesting and just t- totally focused on Diggory. And she very calmly leads them um, out um, through the palace as it's crumbling. And then they come to the door and she says something, some kind of incantation or something. And makes the door crumble, and she doesn't use a wand. Unlike when we see her in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, she does use a wand. Um, I can't remember if we talked about this before, but I, I always figured that was... Interesting point. I, I never so. made that connection in, in, uh, as I was reading it. 
Well, I always figure, I think later in the story, uh, she tries to use her magic and it doesn't work. I think it's in London. Yes, yeah. correct. So her magic only works in her own world. It has its own set of rules. So once she gets to Narnia, she has to make a little USB adapter. She has to make <laughs> a, a wand. Yeah, that's how I would have seen it. It is one of the great things I love about C.S. Lewis's rules for the universes because there's certain things that uh-huh. just work differently it's like the laws of physics almost like a i mean actually yes the laws of physics not just the laws of magic you know in narnia you have the deep magic and the deeper magic and you have a flat world you can sail to the end of it yes in our world it doesn't make sense it wouldn't physically work but in narnia it does work just like how in charn she can have all this power and then in our world and then in you know the world between the worlds she has no power then in our world She's like a, a like a Marvel hero, basically. Like she's like superhuman mm-hmm. strength, but she doesn't have magic, you know. So there is a. It may be magic, it may be unexplained, but you have the sense of a logic to it, even if it's not fully explained. There's a sense of rules to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love that. Yeah. Um. So she leads them out. We get our first view of the surrounding city, which is so awesome. I just love every single word. <laughs> Of this chapter, I think when Netflix, if you're listening, it, it's weird to say this about a dialogue scene. It's really more of a monologue scene. Yeah, there's not much back and forth. Even more interesting because it, it's weird to say this about a monologue scene, but it's like Netflix just don't change a word. Just yeah. hand the actors the book and say, go. I think it's so perfect. I love the dialogue so much. And it's so it, you got to get a good actress who can deliver lines. Like, uh, you know, such was charm and look well on that, which no one will ever see again. And there's so many lines that could be cheesy. But I mean, that's isn't that kind of like. There's a one thing like when I was reading this chapter or just like reacquainting myself with the character of Jadis in The Magician's Nephew is that she is extremely over the top. She mm-hmm. just has these just perceptions of reality, which maybe in Sharn are real, definitely aren't real anywhere else. Um, so she is this larger of li- larger than life, like really dramatic type of person. So you almost would expect someone to act that very broadly. See, I think that would be. It's not like I don't see where you're getting that from. She is so incredibly full of herself. She's so incredibly arrogant. And I <laughs> I love this bit. Um, I'm just going to read it. She paused and added, All in one moment, one woman blotted it out forever. Who? said Diggory in a faint voice, but he had already guessed the answer. I, said the queen. I, Jadis, the last queen, but the queen of the world. Now, you could do that. I, Jadis, you absolutely could. But to me, what makes this character... Uh, what's so important to this character is that she's saying this as if it's just assumed that, well, yeah. yes, of course I'm the best. Of course, the, the whole universe exists to serve me. Of course, that's the way to. Yes. It's like, it's actually uh-huh. a cool yes. title. <laughs> Jadis, the last queen. The last queen. Because like, why? Props to C.S. Lewis for creating a cool villain. Oh, I, mean, I love her so much. To be fair to the filmmakers, it is not a surprise. They kept trying to manufacture ways to bring her back in the films because she is a good villain and good villains in today's era are hard to come by. Um, I mean, you see this with, you know, even look at like, whether it's like Marvel movies or something, it's it's actually hard to find the ones with have, have really good villains. Mm -hmm. You don't read the story and go, Oh yeah. Diggory's totally going to beat her. 
<laughs> you know, you don't say that. It just really that's why it keeps the the tension so. How are they gonna get out of this? Absolutely. Oh shoot, she's smarter and more powerful and more capable in every way mm-hmm. than everyone we've met in the story so far. Yeah. Well, I love that. Yeah, he he builds up the tension of what kind of person this is. Like I was just saying that she's just completely. She it would never occur to her that she's not the center of the universe. It's not something she has to <laughs> shout Barbara Kellerman style. It's just a fact of life that, of course, the whole world revolves around me. So much so that she's willing to say the deplorable word and make it so that yeah, she's the queen. Congratulations of nothing. But mm. that that was yeah. worth it to her, and, and she doesn't regret it even yeah. for a yeah. moment. Well. Yeah, I think the really interesting thing kind of go to uh, to go alongside that was um in our last podcast you asked if we thought that Diggory and Polly were the first ones to come across the bell. You know, has anyone else made it to Charn? And I said, "No, they're the only ones." And the reason why I feel so strongly about that is because when you think about it, it was by such incredible chance that they came across the pool out of all of those hundreds of pools that were there that happened to be hers. And they also happened to come across it before the sun went out and the pool was gone. Well, like, we're talking about potentially millions or billions of years, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, even when you listen to, uh, you know, her talk about, you know, her, she, you know, she's talking about Uncle Andrew and she's like, oh, you know, he must be this great magician. He must have, you know, used his art to see a shadow of my face in some magic <laughs> mirror or an enchanted pool. And for the love of my beauty, he made a spell to, you know, shook the foundations and come send you here to find me. And she's so convinced that like, you know, even when she put herself into this magic sleep, it's like, oh, because somewhere s- someone will find me. Yes. And I'm like, she had she it's it's her thinking that she knows everything that has their downfall every single time. And even right here, you know, she she's convinced I know what's going on. Your 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 magician set you for my beauty. I, I got it. I got it all figured out. There, it doesn't even cross her mind that the tiny chance that someone would have found the woods, found the pool, and then found her is so small. Like, she could have, like, they could have just gone into the pool next door and no one else would have ever come. And that's where she would have just ended. Uh-huh. And she would have never known. And the same thing happens in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. She's like, I know everything. I know the deep magic. Like, end of story i've got this all figured out i can i can figure this out and she doesn't doesn't account for the deeper magic that was before her knowledge no so it's the same thing here she doesn't account for the fact that she's not the center of the universe that she is she they weren't sent there for her therefore maybe approach this a little bit differently or don't put yourself in this enchanted sleep and destroy your own world and just assume someone's going to come find you. Like, that's a really terrible plan. See, we, we, we could talk about her as being over the top. But as you talk about these things, Jim Fan, especially the past few years, it this doesn't seem, this sounds more and more familiar. I don't know. But, but just the, <laughs> the assumption that, well, obviously, there's nothing anyone else could say that might, no other perspective someone could give that might make me question something or there are obviously the answer to this problem is this world problem is is very simple the answers are so simple and people just won't do them because they're stupid and there's no like 
I encounter this. I just feel like I see this a lot and I'm not, I'm guilty too. You know, the assumption that, Mm -hmm. well, I I just, I know everything and no other perspective is going to change it at all. And so it's her complete lack of complete lack of anything remotely resembling humility, including her, I've got it all figured out. I know exactly what your, your uncle magician did to the point where when Diggory is like, no, that's not it. She's like, you're lying. I, it's like, Jada, how could she possibly no, begin to be confident what other worlds would be like and what people might do? How could you even begin to be confident about that? It, it is interesting. Uh, you know, there's a reason why Lord Acton said power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And it corrupts in so many ways. And I was talking about this actually about at work, about a failure of an employee. And we were all stunned by this, this colossal failure of this one employee. And we thought, what, what was it? Was it, was it kind of like this cruelty? Was it laziness? No, we realized what it was, was indifference to the, the, suffering of others. It was almost like cruelty would have been better. It was almost like the indifference, the, this does not register as a calculation in my brain, how these people are suffering. That was kind of the, the most offensive thing in some ways. And, you know, but that's the thing here. It's like, it's not even almost like she wanted everyone to suffer. It was just the indifference and callousness of it all. Yes, like it couldn't be any other way. She said, you know, she says, you know, my sister even knew I had the secret of the deplorable word. Did she think she was always a weakling that I would not use it? Like, of course, it's just a force of nature. What else would I do? Of course, I'm going to destroy everyone else except me if I have to. The complete lack of humility. And can I just say, quick soapbox, the thing, one of the things I have learned the past few years in this, you know, really nasty political environment we're in is that. It, it feels like we think it's weakness to say, I don't know, or I'm not sure. Oh, oh, I never thought of that before. Or you know what? I know I was speaking very confidently a moment ago, but you've said something. I, I may have to go do some more research on that. You may have something there. Mm-hmm. We think it's weakness. It's not. If you say that, people recognize it as strength, that you have the confidence to say, oh, I don't know. That actually makes you look more genuine and more real um, to be able to admit that. Well, it's humility. It's just basic humility, exactly. which the queen, which Jadis does not have. Mm-hmm. Not at all. And I think when we see her, the White Witch basically is almost a cartoon character villain. There's not much to her other than she wants to take over Narnia. And we see an extension of that here. But there is something about the magician's nephew, the way she's written. And of course, she gets a lot more to say. She's just more of a plot device in Blind the Witch and the Wardrobe. And here, Lewis is making more of a fully formed character. But here it's like, mm-hmm. I'm looking at that arrogance. I'm looking at that desire for power and all the things she has in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But I'm recognizing things in, in myself and other people. Like, wow, this looks familiar. Um, I see this in our world. Um, and also just, you know, the, the arrogance of, oh, of just being so confident that I can know absolutely everything. We learn a lot more about her backstory here. There's a lot of similarities, obviously. The book draws our attention to it and uh, about the similarities between uh, Uncle Andrew and Jadis. And there's a bit because I always butcher uh, the word dazzlingly. So Rillian, would you mind reading? No, I'm not not even going to try to say it one more time. Rillian, would you mind reading one of my favorite little comedic, dry comedic beats in the entire series? It starts with, I had forgotten. Um, that uh, uh, makes this connection between Uncle Andrew and Queen Jadis. Sure. I had forgotten you that you are only a common boy. How should you understand reasons of state? You must learn, child, 
that what would be wrong for you or for any of the common people is not wrong in a great queen such as I. The weight of the world is on our shoulders. We must be freed from all rules. Ours is a high and lonely destiny. Diggory suddenly remembered that Uncle Andrew had used exactly the same words, but they sounded much grander when Queen Jada said them, perhaps because Uncle Andrew was not seven feet tall and dazzlingly blue. That's hard to say. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, he fumbled it. Get to the punch. The punchline, man. Perhaps because Uncle Andrew was not seven feet tall and dazz- dazzlingly beautiful. Well done. Dazzlingly. Dazzlingly. I'm going to try to say it five times fast. Dazzlingly. Dazzlingly. Can't even say it once. But perhaps perhaps because Uncle... But they sounded much grander when Queen Jada said them. Perhaps because Uncle Andrew was not seven feet tall and dazzlingly beautiful. Boom. Oh, well, yeah. Like if you slow down, just dazzlingly beautiful. <laughs> That's the only way to do it. It's like four syllables. Enunciate. When you, you read you, it, you it's slow so down. lovely. But they sound not much grander when Queen Jada said them. Perhaps because Uncle Andrew was not seven feet tall and dazzlingly beautiful. Sure, it works. <laughs> okay. It's a great comedic. We'll be releasing all the videos. I was like, oh, I forgot that C.S. Lewis actually names how tall she is. Uh-huh. Is it taller? I mean, he'd already said she was like taller than most humans. Yeah, he people, already I said think. that, but it's like humans, you know. yeah. Seven feet. It's big. Uh <laughs> we learned that uh I was it's a great detail, it's easy to forget about that uh Queen Jadis mentions that she paid a terrible price to learn the deplorable word. And the again, another parallel, but Uncle Andrew talked about, you know, he met some strange people and that's what turned his hair what his hair gray, I think he says. Does he say gray or does he say white? Let me see here. Turned my hair. Word search. Give me a moment here. Let's look. Gray. It says gray. Yeah. Never mind. I was going to say yeah. that white. white <laughs> no, Jadis Jade turns. Dun, dun, dun. turns white. Echolandry white hair. Never mind. Um, Miss connection. But, but it is an interesting theme, right? That these people are willing to sacrifice so much of their humanity. I mean, there's a similar theme in Harry Potter, right? That, that, that Voldemort is willing to sacrifice all these people so that he can get this power. And then, so it's, it's a, it's an interesting villain concept. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis. I just came across. I was reading part of his essay. Um, It's called on living in an, on living in an atomic age, which I'll get to just in a second here. Um, But he had a quote near the end where he said, nothing is more likely to destroy a species or a nation than the determination to survive at all costs. Mm-hmm. In other words, where you only serve, well, we just need to only serve yourself and don't serve something higher than that. Uh, and that's what we're seeing with Jadis. It does bring this interesting question. You know, one of the, I think it was um, Plato or uh, Socrates who first for- phrased the question. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong in the, in the comments. Is it better to suffer evil or commit evil? And, and it's a tough question if you actually think about how it plays out. Solzhenitsyn said, in the, I think it was in the Gulag Archipelago, that the the best people in the gulags did not survive because the best people uh, wouldn't steal from someone else. They wouldn't steal food from someone else. Mm. You know, he basically said the most moral people uh, didn't make it out and, uh, you know, because of what it took to survive. And he, you know, I'm not saying that I'm saying he said it because it was just an interesting reflection on when things get so bad. Do do you do what you would do to survive at all costs? And for a lot of us, if we were being honest with ourselves, a lot of us, we would. We were not so selfless. Um, What's interesting with Jadis is this this kind of she goes to that without the desperation with with this kind of Mm -hmm. vaunted arrogance. She brags Mm -hmm. about it. 
She brags about it. A mm-hmm. lot of us was like, oh yeah, if I'm being honest, I I might have to put, I might put my own survival above virtue. She brags about it. Mm-hmm. And speaking of uh, committing evil and suffering evil, um, and also just this whole, you know, I remember reading even this, you know, this stuff, this chapter when I, you know, t- about 20 years ago when I first read this book, and it's seeming very, oh, she's a great villain, but she's this mustache twirling great villain, you know, and but now I look at it and it feels familiar. Um, and the idea of someone who would be, or the concept of being so willing to ensure your own survival um, that you'll risk destroying everything mm-hmm. in order to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that didn't seem like such a fantasy idea when I read this chapter last week. Um, and it, I mean, I don't know if maybe current events to mind for you guys at all but when she's talking about the deplorable word and keeping in mind the historical context that this was written in this is this is only this is lewis published this less than 10 years after a bomb was dropped on hiroshima um and with what's going on with russia and ukraine um that definitely the idea of we've had enough time we had a lot of time to get to get to come to terms a little bit with the idea of what if someone was willing to just destroy everything else if necessary, if that's what they had to do for victory. So did that come to you guys, that come to mind for you guys at all? I'm not usually someone that's like, well, the lamppost represents this and the ring equals (laughs) nuclear energy, but that I couldn't help but, but, but think of that when I was reading it. recently. I think about it in more of, not that it doesn't tie to current events, uh, like with Russia, Ukraine and stuff, but, but, Put it like this. There's like this. So here's this branch here, here, right? With Jadis and the deplorable word from this concept of just the, how corrupt the human heart can be. And then on this other branch coming from the same issue is there it is Russia and Ukraine, right? So I, I kind of tie it down to this rude issue of do people really understand how evil the human heart can be? And I, I've heard from, I can hear sometimes in religious circles, I think many people are very naive. Um, I, I hear some people in some Christian circles say, well, I'm really, I'm no worse than, than uh, any other person, you know? And it's like this false sense of humility. And, and it's like, okay, if you, if you think that where you are is no worse than any other person, you're either extremely wicked or desperately naive because you don't understand how truly evil humans can become. And we're not all in the same place, but, but at the same time, the, the, the small bit of that that does because no it's not like oh no we're all we're all equally the same no we're not degree is not in the same place as jadis it's very clear but what jadis or what degree starts to learn through uncle andrew seeing and, and then seeing the temptations that come on later in the book the potential for evil in the common man is so profoundly deep we even in the first book line notes in the wardrobe you know Edmund's not the worst kid, not the worst person. He sells his siblings for candy. Or even Mr. Tumnus. Like he's beloved. He's a he's a wonderful character and we love him, but you like he's been in the service of the White Witch for years. Mm -hmm. He's about to kidnap this child and turn her over to her. You know? Mm -hmm. Like he it's it's just to, you know, piggyback off of what you said. It's it's all about we all have the same capacity for evil um, given the mm-hmm. right circumstances. I got into a heated argument one time with a classmate of mine, and we were talking about, uh, well, I don't, uh, the uh, book, 
12 Years a Slave, um, which I've never seen the movie. I've heard it's fantastic, but I've read the book. Mm. It's a fantastic really book. Good. book. Audiobooks on YouTube, public domain. He, he's talking about this person and how he, he commits this horrible evil of slavery, but it's because he said, and he's not just excusing it, right? He's not saying he gets off the hook, but he's like, here's why. It's because he doesn't think it's wrong and he, it's because of his upbringing and the culture. And, and this other person was like, no, I would, I, I would never. There is no circumstance where I would have ever owned a slave. I'm like, like really? Like you, you really think that mm-hmm. you really think that there is no circumstance where you could have ever been born into some circumstance where you would have maybe accepted mm-hmm. this as being okay? And, and they're mm-hmm. like, no, 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 no. I would never. I'm like, I think you're not understanding how similar humans are across history. Is basically where I left it. You know, I wasn't going to change your yeah. mind. It's just different things. We all get woke, or we all get enlightened. You know about different things. But, you know, I'm sure there's stuff that we do that another generation will look back on and be like, oh, my gosh, that was um, like not great at all. What do you mean that you guys were awful? Just the danger that it's never, ever questioned. And Curly Jadis and her sister, I guess, have just been, well, that's what you do. You you, you, whatever you have, whatever you have to do to get power, you just do it to the point to where she uses the deplorable word, kills every living thing except herself. And there's not even an inkling of maybe that wasn't the best idea not even an inkling of i mean now i'm the queen of nothing i mean there's a bit near the end yeah where Lewis... or even like you know that was pretty awful but you know i it was it was it had to be done but mm-hmm. like i wish i didn't have even to. that would be something yeah. it's it's, a, it's it's not that she does it that i find so appalling what i find more appalling than that is that she doesn't wrestle with it at all it's just assumed and there's a bit at the end where lewis writes um she paused for a moment to look once more on the deserted city and if she was sorry for all the evil she had done, she certainly didn't show it. Well, it shows the purity of her hatred because, mm-hmm. you know, and you can see this in relationships. It, it can even happen. It can even happen in a marriage between two people who love each other where you might get to a point where you become so angry. You'll, you'll say something that's hurtful and you know it'll actually still hurt you. You know it'll hurt you in the mm-hmm. long run. And you're mm-hmm. kind of self-sabotaging because if you're like, oh, if I'm being objective, maybe this isn't going to better my circumstances like for the next week, you know, but you become so angry. Yeah. You're like, you know what? Even if I take a hit, I'm willing to hurt, hurt this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's winning at all costs. Whoo. I like this book. Um, <laughs> can I ask a shallow, not not a very deep question, but I, I, I'm really curious what you guys think. Sure. Please do. The other figures in the hall, are they, who are they? Why? Because is everyone else just dusted, like, like, uh, like the Infinity Stones just dust everyone else? But then, her, are these her? Is this her family? Like, are these her favorite people, or are these people at all? Who are they? <laughs> well, you're talking about the Hall of Images, yes. Um, where that she, you know, uh, I myself, you know, she she sits among them as as an image. Though we're a thousand years till someone comes and strikes the bell, and of course they have the, you know, their faces start out nice. And then gradually they get, you know, worse and worse. So finally they're very cruel. Um, I mean, I always assume those are just uh, images of previous rulers, right? That's what I thought as well. Like it's like a like a hall of presidents. It makes sense if it's like the images of previous. So they're not actually people. See, yes, I used to. Well, that would make sense if they're like the the kings and queens of Charn. They start off nice and they just become more and more depraved, and then they end with the last queen. Uh, interesting theory about this. Maybe I get to in the next episode. But uh, there is a. I used. To, well, I think the first time I read the book, I thought they too were people in some form of suspended animation. 
Um, just like that, that, that all of them were like that. But actually, when you read it, it gets, it's no, it's, it's just they're just like, you know, they are just like wonderful waxworks, mm-hmm. basically, some kind of advanced waxworks. And she's going to sit among them as if she's a wax, uh, as if she's. See, I used to think they were all people, yeah. but now I'm like, I, I do think that they tend to be like the, the waxworks. Uh-huh. But there must be some kind of magic at work. I just think it's just the fact that the force of the spell was that she had to sit among them. Right. That implies there's something magic about that yes. room, or maybe it maybe it is some like. Because doesn't she say like as if yeah, I were I one know. of them? She says something like as if I were one of them. She doesn't say like they're like me. How, how do I find that? Uh, the, oh, the the four. I'm trying. I'm thinking of the, the force of those spells. I think it was. Here's the word keyword here. Yeah, that I think that was the wording. The force. Oh, here we go. Um, she said. I had already cast strong spells on the hall where the images of my ancestors sit. So her ancestors, there you go. And the force of, and the force of those spells was that I should sleep among them, like an image myself, and need neither food nor fire, though it were a thousand years till one came and struck the bell and awoke. So that answers the question. Um, so why did she strike? Why did she cast those spells in the originally? And what spell was she casting exactly? But the force of those spells was that she would have to. Um, sleep among them. I mean, I, I guess if we're going with everything else she's doing, she's probably doing something that would give herself the throne. Was there something in that room that made it so that like only certain people could have the throne and she was trying to overthrow that? She was trying to usurp that. So she cast certain spells, but the consequence was that of that was that she had to sleep among... I don't know! Lewis didn't say! I guess when I, when I read it, because like when you consider the state of Charn, like how like run down and crumbly the place the technical term crumbly is <laughs> yes um i it makes me think that maybe some of the spells were just like preserving spells to ensure that that place and like her and then the images that surrounding are surrounding her maybe not on purpose but because they're in the same place because the great hall is obviously like a it's probably like her that's where the throne is so it's the place of importance um it's just it, the spells are to ensure not just that she is preserved but also that the surrounding area is preserved as well so it doesn't like just crumble around her and then there's you know a thousand years later there's just like one lone uh like person sitting on a throne with a bell and nothing else around it there's a wonderful bit uh at the very end where uh I'll just read it. Um, Diggory or Jadis asks Diggory, "Have you a different sort of sun in in your world?" Yes, it's smaller and yellower. It gives a good deal more heat. The queen gave a long drawn "aha," and Diggory saw on her face that same hungry and greedy look which he had lately seen on Uncle Andrew's. So she said, "Yours is a younger world." And again, just like Uncle Andrew, what Diggory is seeing is her mind immediately going to, "I can use that." Mm-hmm. Exactly. I can make use of that. I can use it. Um, immediately. It's like ditching the old crumbly house and be like, oh, there's a new one down the street and that will last me like uh-huh. so much longer. I can do so much more with it. But no appreciation whatsoever for the possibility of going to see a younger world or no appreciation for that having any kind of inherent value. It's just, this is a resource for me to use and that's it. Mm-hmm. And she's totally convinced that I know exactly what's happened and has this whole story yes. about mm-hmm. your uncle has seen my face in the magic mirror. He's come to get me. Isn't that what it is? And I love Diggory's response. Well, Diggory's like, 
Well, not exactly. And how Kamali's like, not exactly. It's absolute boss from beginning to end. And I, I love that again, because Diggory's like, well, I'll let her down kind of easy. And Polly's like, shut up, you narcissist. <laughs> not like um, that at all. Okay. Uh, wow. There's a, 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 a number of, is there re- some really cool notes in our Google Doc here, but we are out of time. So we'll have to get to them in our post show chatter. <laughs> um, that is it for this season of Talking Beasts. We're going to, of course, continue The Magician's Nephew um, in the next season. So sorry to leave you hanging. Uh, the chapter ends where uh, <laughs> they uh, grab their rings and are traveling back to the whip between the worlds. And we'll find out what happens as if we haven't read this book a dozen times already. Um, <laughs> so we will see you next season. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take the outro this time. Why not? Do it. You've been listening to Talking Beasts, the Narnie podcast from narnieweb.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and give us five stars on iTunes. Post a comment at narnieweb.com or in the Talking Beasts Facebook group. Visit patreon.com slash narnieweb to support this podcast and get exclusive content, including dazzlingly more episodes. (laughs) I added that bit. Until next season, further up and further in. Further up and further in.